for Pulse. So hello and uh, welcome to the fifth episode, I think, of the Digital Doctor podcast in which we're going to be going through what happened in the Digital Doctor conference at the beginning of December. I am joined by Stephen Wing. Hello. And uh, I always pronounce his name wrong, but I'm going to try Wei Kong Wong. Wei Kong Wong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have a list, like you know, it's a it's a it's a disability. I'm working on it. <laughs> but welcome anyway. Yes, and of course, uh, I'm checking in all the way from Malaysia today. We've got a trans a trans world podcast. <laughs> But you could say transatlantic. It depends which way. That's what you were going to say, wasn't it? And then you paused. Yeah, it depends which way you go around. Exactly. <laughs> Transatlanto Pacific podcast. Yeah, I like it. Transcontinental. Um, so we're going to be talking about the conference and how it went. No, hang on. Let's just say. No, let's say this. I want to stay on the Malaysia thing because look, it's eleven. What eleven thirty nearly in the UK, it and is. what time is seven thirty in Malaysia? So okay. I'm going to go to bed soon and. Wei Kiong Wong's going to go for breakfast. Absolutely. Why Kiong Wong? That's, that's correct. Stephen got it right. Yeah. No, that was me. I so, think it's me. So it's quite, I think it's quite amazing. I mean, the conference actually happened. I thought that was... Um, I was really pleased about it. didn't actually think um, about that until after the conference. No one threw anything at us, which is good. <laughs> No, I, I no, I think it went very well actually, um, and I think you know just to recap what the conference was about. I mean, the, our goal was to you know get a group of people together, a group of doctors together, um, and other healthcare professionals who were interested in IT, interested in learning about more, to try and improve their own productivity, their patients, and also to look at how they could proceed with ideas that they might have about generating apps and things. Um, and you know, I think people who came actually really engaged well in it. Um, we were very lucky to have some really great keynote speakers, which I'm sure we'll mention in a moment. Um, and, you know, some, some great workshops and things as well. And the thing that really excites me about it is one of our goals with this was to sort of create, you know, not just the, the conference, but, you know, for the conference to almost continue after the conference on Twitter and on various channels. And, and that seems to be happening to some degree as well. So I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was really heartening to see people coming from all over the country and we have you know, medical students, um, training doctors, GPs, hospital consultants. It was a very good mix of people. And international. We had one person who travelled all the way from the United Arab Emirates. Wow. Is that one guy said? from Liverpool. <laughs> Not Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was really good. Um, and we were sort of trying to brainstorm the other day what were the highlights. And I think one of the highlights was just the fact that it actually happened. And maybe maybe the second is realising that, that there are people like you and I who are interested in, in healthcare technology out there. And some people have got some really good ideas and they're doing some really good things in their own hospitals. And, and getting a group of people like that together is, um, is, is quite something. Yeah. So any, any particular... Um uh, talk or things you want to, to highlight, something that, that struck a chord with any of you in particular? Um, I, I was really interested in the way that, so the first day was more about productivity. It was more about what you do, um, you know, what, how you can use technology as a doctor 
to do email better, to do task management better, to do research better, to do Twitter better. And mm-hmm. I was really interested to see, actually, in some ways, I think people engaged, even though beforehand, a lot of people, and we had less people coming on the first day, people yeah. were very cynical about that. Actually, in some ways, people seem to enjoy that more. Um, yeah, no, that was, no, I mean, I think that's really good. Um, what did you notice, Ed? Because I thought, actually, on the first day, people were, it's almost like they knew what, what was coming, or they at least could relate to it a lot more. And I think there was a lot of nervousness um, around the second day. People weren't really sure what they were going to get. Yeah, yeah. Because I think part of it was, you know, teaching professionals a totally new thing. If they don't get it immediately, they get a bit frustrated. Mm. Um, And on the first day, it was more like, okay, so you already know how to do these sets of things and we're just going to bolt on these things. We're going to show you about, like, very practical things. Like, you, you use email already. This is how to do it better. I'm sure you have to-do lists already. This is how to do it better. But the second day was like, okay, so you've got this abstract idea and we're going to teach you or just tell you how coding works. And I Mm. think that for a lot of people was quite a challenging thing. Um, But having said that, you know, I think we can take lessons from that in the sense that, well, maybe we should have done it slightly differently. Maybe we should have approached it slightly differently. Um, And I think we'll get onto that. But for me, certainly, one of the most interesting things was just how much people engaged with the first day, despite most of the mutterings that we heard before the event being like, oh, yeah, I'm much more interested in the second day. I couldn't really care less about the first day. I don't, you know, I'm just coming to the second day, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I think it's one of those things the first day that everybody thinks that they have worked out how to deal with things like email and keeping up to date and Twitter. But actually, when they actually sit down and think about it, and most people don't do it particularly well and it actually stresses them quite a lot. And I think, you know, it, it, it just brings so much focus to that. Because for me personally, for example, the, talk, the topics on the talk that day, I have, even from then, I didn't manage to attend them, but I've seen some of them on, on, on YouTube and the like. I've, I've picked up things and I've further changed the way I do with my Inbox Zero, for example, um, after listening to, to Stephen's talk. So, you know, that's made a, already a positive change to what I think I was doing quite well. Yay. Yay. Yeah, no, that's really, I think it's, I think it's good that we recorded some of them. I wish we'd recorded all of them. Um, mm. But I think that's partly my fault. I think, you know, as one gets carried away with the day and stuff, you you know, you, you sort of focus on what you're doing and it, it can be quite difficult. But I think one of the things we must take away from it is that actually, you know, we should try and record all the sessions if we can. Um, and it's not that hard. And doing simple audio and the slides is really not that difficult. Yeah. And one thing we talked about before the conference, um, and, and I think the enormity of just doing something we've, we've, that we've never done before. And before the conference, only, I mean, only very few of us had actually met in person. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple of people that were meeting for the first time on the day, organisers, I mean. And um, the enormity of that was too much. But I know one thing we, we spoke about was doing it as a sort of uh, MOOC, a massively online uh, open course. And if we recorded it, I suppose we, you know, we could do something like that. And I think that would be that would be great. Yeah, I mean, I think we would need face-to-face stuff as well. Uh... Yeah, I think um, something that we, you know, we've done before, Ed, was, was use a sort of uh, face-to-face lecture as uh, the stimulus for generating content. You know, whether you record it live or whether you go and re- rehash and re-record that content later. Yeah. I think we, we could certainly, there's a lot of work that goes into doing a conference like this, and we could certainly use some of it to make uh, a, a sort of massively open online course. Yeah, you've got to harness, you, you know, you know the, the effort that goes into creating these presentations. 
and delivering them, you know, often multiple times to groups, you, you, you've got to take the opportunity to record that stuff, I think, and yeah. provide it, you know, to a wider audience. It's almost uh, silly not to. Yeah, com- I completely agree. And uh, that's something we'll do for the next conference, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so what, what, I mean, what, what, are the, what are the highlights for, for you, Stephen? Yeah, I mean, I said uh, before that I think the highlights... Uh, well, for me, just meeting everyone and just working out that... I mean, it's the first time I've ever been to anything like this. So there's obviously the hack days that exist and, and many, many other talks and conferences that people go to. This is the first kind of thing that I've been to and I just happened to be organising and speaking at it. But I really loved meeting people, um, you know, who were thinking about similar things and realising that, you know, there are people that are... That are that maybe as enthused, if not more enthused than me, and are already doing things like I mean, even just Wei Kong, who we we'd actually never met before, had we, Wei Kong? No, no, never, no. And but we'd spoken obviously on the podcast before, and um, just hit. We, we went to the pub on the last day on Sunday, and you were showing me the the, the cell counter, the cell counter. So you're a hematologist, and and you look at bone marrow samples and you have to count the different types of cells and it's an automated way of categorizing it because before you did it on like a big typewriter thing yeah abacus an abacus <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and it was it was amazing just the kind of stuff that you were doing with that and it produces this nice little donut graph that, that even i could see across the room and, I, and i'm a neurologist i know next to nothing about blood but even i could see across the room what was myeloma and what was uh you know aml or something like that so I found that fascinating, just hearing what other people are doing, um, meeting different people from different com- places, different countries, doing different things, and not only doctors, you know, some of the software developers that came on Sunday, I think it was really valuable meeting those kind of people. Absolutely. also really like Martin Murphy's uh, quest about getting uh, Wi-Fi into hospital trusts. I think that if, if anything came of that, I think that would be fantastic. I mean, that's something we've spoken about before, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, especially Wei Kong. I know you have very strong feelings about that. I think the other thing worth mentioning, actually, um, there's this person called John Poplar who has who's created a Facebook page to, to, to do something similar. Right. And I think he actually spoke at EHI Live as well with regards to free Wi-Fi. I'm sure he, he, he has spoken to Martin Murphy already. So we should put that in the show notes um, so that people can go and like and contribute to that Facebook page. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. What about you guys? What, what sorts of things did you think were made the weekend for you? Well, I think I'm kind of, you know, taking it much more on, like, on a personal level and listening to the talks. Um, when I listened to Martin Murphy's talk, first thing that really struck me and really hammered home uh, to me why it's so important to have um, clinicians with the responsibility uh, and deep understanding of how IT works is listening to Martin Murphy speak. Because he gave a talk about IT, but I think the thrust of his talk was much more about what it means to be a doctor working in this field and how we should never forget that first and foremost, you know, we are professionals that treat other people and help them get better and help them stay healthy. And we should never lose facts of that. And the moment we lose facts of that, you'll start designing systems around us that just doesn't work. And 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 I like the way he said that you know, um, that medical the medical profession is still one of the most trusted pe- uh, people um, in in society. 
and with all the talk that the government is talking about, you know, reusing data for secondary uses like, you know, research and then potentially commercializing it and then oh. get doctors to try to convince patients to give their consent for things like that. And I just like his, you know, it all makes a lot of sense for, you know, the NHS and from the British government. But I like the way he keeps reminding us that we, we should always keep in mind that the patients trust us to protect their confidentiality and we have to be sure in ourselves that we are doing the right thing. And I thought, you know, it, it just hammers home a, a very important message that sometimes can be forgotten. Yeah, he's probably on his Harley Davidson right now, right? <laughs> That's right. Like Martin, if you if you if you're listening, I hope the Hardy Davidson's nice. I hope you got it delivered. I hope all the chrome was as shiny as you expected, and you, you've not crashed it. Um, <laughs> I hope you're you know you're really enjoying it. But it it strikes me. So he's in Wales, right? Yes. It strikes me that would be the, the kind of one of the last places in the world that I would want to buy Harley Davidson. So if I was in California, I think that would go down really well. But it's going to be raining most of the time in Wales. And, <laughs> Actually, yeah. Wales is a very scenic country, Stephen. It is. I, I don't deny it, but um, who wants to get wet on a motorcycle? <laughs> Not I. <laughs> um, I think there's also, we should give a special mention to Rob Dykes. Ah, oh, amazing guy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, on the anatomy and physio- physiology of NHSIT in the wider world. And this is quite amazing. Um, and I feel a bit guilty because I managed to record the audio from his talk, but not the video. Um, and basically, it was impossible to, well, it wasn't impossible, it was very difficult. Uh, to record the video because he was drawing on a wall and bouncing around the room though. yeah and uh, <laughs> to, to illustrate how the what the anatomy and physiology of NHSIT is like um, but there is a recording that we have put up um, I think it's linked on the website well well, whatever happens we'll put it in the show notes so you can check it out if you want what I think he did really well what I was really interested in is he made he he almost gave a story of what it's like to be him I now have a much better understanding. So before the conference, if, if anyone asked me, have you heard of Rob Dyke? I'd say, yeah, of course I've heard of Rob Dyke. What does he do? Um, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you very much, but he gave a really good talk um, all about the state of NHS IT, all the different problems with it, how things connect. And I really got a feel for what it's like to be him. And talking with him afterwards, we spoke about, um, I mean, because he, he goes to lots of these things. He goes to the hack days. He, he's involved in handy health and... Um, and all sorts of things. And he comes to events like this and he meets, like like I was so enthused meeting people that were interested in similar things. Mm. But he sees that every time he goes to one of these conferences. Mm. And he's got to the point where now it frustrates him because there's all this enthusiasm and everyone turns up to a conference and says, yeah, let's do this. It'd be great. Here's loads of problems. We could solve them. And they do a little bit on it, but it's really hard to carry that momentum forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And something that I really, really resonate with and, and I wanted I was speaking to him about afterwards is how what can we do to, uh, to make sure that between different conferences between different groups meeting up whether whether it's uh, interconference or whether it's within the same conference family how do you carry on progress and take things forward rather than just turning up saying you're interested uh, throwing up a load of problems trying to solve them and then going away and not doing anything for six months no, I think it's kind of happening in the background. I think it might seem frustrating because you, you, you want to see a massive amount of activity. There's probably a massive amount of activity going on in the background that we don't realize. We started off in a yeah. lot of these conferences. Like, for example, when I attended the first NHS Pack Day, I've met people there which I'm, who I'm still working with, bouncing ideas off, mm-hmm. and who has really influenced the way I think and the way I, I work. So 
it, it, it might not seem very obvious because you know we're not producing a new product that has suddenly been highlighted in every single news channel, but there is there is a community being formed and there's no doubt about yeah, that. That's yeah. true. I mean I, I, I've you know, I had a couple of people who, you know, uh, I spoke to at the conference who came up with ideas and stuff and um, I've I've hit I've hit exactly what you were just saying saying, Stephen, which is this like enthusiasm initially. And then it's like, well, okay, I'm, I'm prepared to be involved in this. I'll do it for free and open source. And then nobody engages. Because um, that's something you're very good at, Ed. Um, I've always found that when you and I, uh, you know, bar one or two exceptions, when you and I commit together on a project, it usually gets done. It usually gets done very quickly, actually. That's because I can't bear not to do it. I, I, can't, I don't, you know, once I have something on my plate, I want to I wanna get it done and I want to move on. <laughs> Yeah. I think, and that's just probably my own neurosis. But you know, I, I I find it very difficult when someone says, "Oh, let's do something," and I say, "Yeah, great," and I get enthusiastic about it. I want to move on it now. Strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, exactly, and get going. And then I do a whole load of stuff, and then the other people involved just like, "Yeah." Oh, I hope <laughs> I'm not like that. No, no. not you, <laughs> not you. But you know, no. yeah. <laughs> yeah. See you later. Yeah. Okay. You know, but as soon as it gets difficult, you don't see. Well, that. yeah, or just you know, generally not enthused. I mean, but I think you're definitely right. There's something about that which I can really feel. If Rob, if Rob as well, I, I wasn't there for that conversation, but I really can empathise with what Rob Dyke is saying. If he says people come to these conferences and they're really enthusiastic and they have come up with ideas, but then it all fizzles out. Mm. Um, and I think what we need to try and think about is well, how can we, how can we drive that? You know, I mean, how can we Really, I mean, because I've been trying to drive various things that came up, and it, it's very difficult. This is um, why you should have recorded your Getting Things Done talk. Well, they would have been sold if I'd done call recording. Yeah, I, I'm mad at you for that. I don't know why you didn't do that. Well, it was most, well, I'm not going to say that, but it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting. Speaking about Rob's talk, I mean, Ed, you were, you, you, I think you mentioned at some stage that you've done this. You know, you've been in IT consultancy in healthcare for quite a while now. And there well, a year, learning, a year. Over uh, well, a year is quite significant. And, and, and uh, you said there were things in that talk that even uh, that you didn't realize. Is there any particular thing that surprised you? Oh, just the whole thing. I mean, I really, you know, I, 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 I don't want to, you know, make out that I'm rubbish at what I do or anything. But um, Rob Dyke certainly, um, I mean, most of what he said, I did not know. Mm. Um, mainly because I've been functioning uh, mainly on the disruptive side of healthcare development. Um, you know, working with cavalier consultants who want to build systems and that's I a think, beautiful phrase. You know, I've been I've been working on the disruptive slide of healthcare development <laughs> with cavalier <laughs> consultants. What a beautiful way to put it. <laughs> no, but that has been where I've been I've been positioning myself. And um, so for me to actually hear about how things work in real life, like with real people, is, is, uh, was quite interesting. Yeah. Now, I don't want to embarrass your memories at all, um, but all I know is Jack Barker's talk I heard was very good, although you'll notice in the schedule, straight after that, Jeremy and I um, were doing How to Learn to Code, and I noticed, uh, no, it wasn't, it was, it was actually after that, you, you, I think you did something with Jeremy after that, how to to code, and I did the introduction to computer science with Jeremy after. Oh, that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Refreshments. Yeah. And we changed it the night 
the Saturday night, which completely changed. I was going to do something with data and doing uh, body mass index uh, right. calculations. Yeah. Um, and maybe I should screencast that because that still exists. But then Jeremy was like, uh, well, let's do this. I think that'd be great. And we, we completely switched it up on the Saturday night. And I think it was better for it because it fitted in with the whole day better. Yeah. Uh, but I was quite nervous at that point. So I wasn't necessarily listening or present for all of Jack Barker's talk. But I wanted to know what it was about. Have you got? Did we, did we record that? Um, yes, we did, and it's available online. Yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to that. But what what, what was um, what was that all about? What was the sort of flavour of that? Um, I think you know I, his talk was very much from the from the inside about you know rather than an astrophysiology in the wider world, what it's like to actually you know oh, deliver an innovative system that is slightly disruptive within an organisation. Because um, I think Wei he's coming at it from the, was it the UCL perspective? No, no, no. <laughs> Not UCL. Kings. Kings, Kings sorry. <laughs> I've just committed the cardinal sin. <laughs> Absolutely. Not the self-divide, you know, the tens, the tens. Um, no, no, he, he basically gave an insight of how is it like to be a clinician with responsibility for delivering an IT system in, in secondary care. And I thought, well, and he talked about the structures in place. He talked about the players in the hospital which actually influences this decision, uh, decisions. And I think it was something that he didn't actually mention a lot about, which is one of the unique things about King is that they home-built and developed most of their system themselves. And, he, and, and Jack has always um, said that a lot of the success of what they are able to do comes from that aspect of it. And I think there was some concern that when they had a new chief executive who came in, uh, who had you know a lot of experience in the telecom sector, especially in BT, yeah. that there was concern that when, when the chief executive started, they were going to basically rip and replace the whole IT system and all the work that has gone in for the last seven years, and how he had to basically win him over and show how the way they are doing it has, does actually work. Yeah, that's and, a worry, isn't it? Yeah, and and it's and I thought that was quite brave of him because there was a real risk that all the work could have been that could have been undone. But I think in his talk also you could feel the the, the frustration of all the difficulty in trying to deliver an IT strategy within a hospital because there were so many people wanting their own thing, and then yeah. of course you know the regulatory bodies who want their own thing as well, like we want to measure this, we want to measure that, and. And the thing that struck me most was how small the IT budget was. I think he said that in the, most organizations, IT budgets in healthcare should be around, I, did he say something like 10% or 4% or it's, something? It's in my Twitter feed, I, I can't remember. But the uh, point was that he was working at 0.4% yeah. or a tenth of what people have predicted that you need. And... And that's the end. And I guess it, every time when we are in hospitals and we find ourselves like banging our head against the wall, it, it now makes a bit more sense of why we bang our head against the wall. Um, but you see, that for me, that, that justifies even more the approach of developing things in an agile fashion, doing them in-house, you mm. know, doing them with small development teams, you're doing them efficiently. You know, and, and, and an agile methodology so that actually it's what the, 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 the people who are using them actually need rather than hiring, you know, large companies that will do six months worth of specification and then charge you £400 to change the colour of a button. You know, I, you know, so I, I think, 
you know, that what he was saying was, was very interesting from that perspective because, and this is certainly something where I think we're seeing more and more of these new initiatives in NHS um, IT sort of healthcare driven models is that, you know, it's much, it's much more the smaller players, the smaller companies coming in and being allowed to bid on projects and to, to, to talk about um, ideas that they have, which can be delivered in a, on a, on a, you know, on a smaller budget and to a higher specification. And then, and I think Martin Murphy spoke a bit about that in his talk as well, on how I think there are a few core things that you must get absolutely right and that you must um, deliver to standards, otherwise things don't work. Yeah. You know, things like identifying the patient. I mean, that's quite key. And, and things like, you know, how do you transmit uh, you know, letters between uh, GPs and pharmacies and hospitals? I mean, those things have to be right. And you can see why, uh, you know, an organi- uh, standards organizations work really well in that space. But things like developing a cardiology system or a diabetes system or something to support hematology, you know, people should be allowed to, to be much more, you know, to be much more playful and be much more innovative and imaginative and things like that. I think it's and a big leap to, to, sorry to cut you up, Wakong. Go on, Karen. No, 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 go on. I, I mean... I was just thinking about the percentage thing. Um, I was obviously wasn't there for the talk, but but saying that health was was he saying that the spend in IT as a percentage of the total isn't enough? I mean, that, he says that the yeah his total budget that is available for IT yeah. is significantly below um, what you know, ex, the experience is in 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 organisations around the world. Because the, the, there's a lot of study that has gone about health IT spend around the world. People have done work on it. And you know, relative to that, their spend is significantly lower. And for what they're delivering, it's, it's a very good value for money. So essentially what you're saying, pay peanuts, get monkeys. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know whether it was, it was Jack, actually, who said this. But, um, you know, programmers, software developers are paid on the same pay bending as NHS managers. So unfortunately, their pay, their relatively low pay, is reflected in in that, and it's really hard to to keep good talent within the NHS in terms of software development. If if it sticks like that, I mean, people, I think good software developers charge about four hundred pounds a day uh, to develop stuff, and you know the NHS cannot afford to pay that kind of amount for in-house staff. Um, and, and they can't do that even if they wanted to with the current kind of pay structure. I yeah, I mean, you know, if, you, if you've got skills in Ruby, you can get a job at the moment. Ruby, iOS, you can get a job in California or the, um, the east coast of the United States on 120k a year easy. Mm. Uh, dollars, that is, you know, oh. and, you know, that, that's just, the, the marketplace is similar in the UK. Um, so, you know, to, to attract, the, I mean, this is, this is probably a, a subject for another podcast, to be honest, but, you know, to attract the kind of talent, you know, it's, it's very difficult unless someone is particularly sort of uh, civic-minded individual who really feels passionately about working in the NHS for IT. And I don't think I've come across many of those. I've come across plenty of doctors who feel that way, but not necessarily mm. uh, IT guys. Um, then you're going to find it very difficult to keep, keep your talent in-house. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to criticisms. Yes. Well, well, the big one I think was was day two, and 
trying to attack the programming thing. Um, I think it divided opinion. Um, I think there are definitely ways we could have done it better. Um, and I think there's definitely scope. There's definitely an appetite for it. So there's a group of people who really want that kind of thing so that they can go and spike on certain problems and projects. And then there's a group of people who would like to know it exists and <laughs> would like to know that there are people who are interested in it but are not necessarily interested in doing it themselves. It really does take you if, you... if you are a medically trained person and you've been doing medicine and science all of your life and you've not been too far away from Microsoft Word... Um, and you know, haven't looked at too many terminals or con- uh, terminals or consoles. Uh, it really does take you out of your comfort zone, and I think that was difficult to do in one day. And I suppose there's the curse of knowledge. So agnos- um, agnosognosia is a term that you get familiar with at medical school, and it basically means that you're unaware of a disability. Um, and maybe the criticism is that, that some people who start to learn to code are, are unaware that they, they sort of think they're maybe better than they are and they're unaware of these certain abilities. But you, you really do feel um, out of your depth if you've not experienced these kind of things before. And the curse of knowledge, the sort of cognitive bias of all of this, is that if you are familiar with it, you forget what it's like to not know. So we were mm. trying to explain some concepts like methods, variables object orientation um dot notation lots of abstraction that goes along in in programming and if once you've got it it's quite simple but it's a really difficult concept to get if you've never heard it before some people get it like straight away and some people can take a long long time i remember taking a long time to get it yeah no i would 100 percent agree with that i still remember when i first started learning programming listening in the car to these audio only screencasts on Ruby on Rails and object orientation and stuff. And I just, I didn't get it. But now it's like, now it not only is a second nature to me, I can like readily apply it to medicine and the practice of medicine. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Wacon, you, you got it now, haven't you? Well, I don't know. I mean, the, <laughs> I, I think the first thing to say is that the first talk where I think Jeremy and you, Ed, uh, spoke about why you might want to learn coding and how to go about that was very, very good. And I thought that was incredibly well delivered. Uh, the second one where where you were doing, they were showing things like object orientation and uh, methods and how to call them. I think what it what hammered home to me is I think I finally understood what object-oriented programming is. And I think I've had several goals at it. But ha- having the ability to ask questions and get it answered straight away uh, was was very helpful. So I, for me, that talk, which I could entirely understand why it would have gone over some people's heads, for me, it was quite, it was very good because I think it, it brought me to a, the next level where I can then feel that I can start doing a bit of coding. Yeah, I think the criticism of that is that we wanted to do Ruby um, primarily because it's the thing that we're most familiar with. And secondly, because we were going to show Ruby on Rails in the afternoon. Mm. And Ruby's quite a a sort of simple, clean language, not too many curly braces, brackets, and dollar signs everywhere. Looks, it's it's almost sort of human readable, if you like. And that was one of the founding principles of, like, Matt's, uh, who founded Ruby, um, that, you know, it was one of the founding principles that he built the language on. But what I think was almost better, and this is what I said to Jeremy afterwards, is that we could probably almost have done it in JavaScript 
Um, so maybe mm. have done like a container, HTML container, and done some JavaScript because literally anybody with a, a plain text editor and a HTML browser can learn programming in that way. Whereas Ruby is a difficult thing to set up if you if you haven't got it. Like it's yeah. a whole sort of lesson in itself. Yeah, as I discovered fairly recently, despite technically meant to be able to program, trying to set up Ruby on my new machine. <laughs> failing dismally for about four hours <laughs> so I, I feel I feel that pain um, so J- JavaScript's a language that's written for the web and there was sort of the, you, I think um, Ed you and Jeremy spoke on uh, on the Sunday about no actually it was just Jeremy wasn't it about yeah, what goes yeah. into websites yeah. and there was sort of this stack of three things it's the HTML which is the actual content and then it, make it, it gets styled with uh, cascading style sheets or CSS and then there were these things that uh, what's called event-driven programming, which is the JavaScript, so it makes it do stuff, um, mm. and you can get information from the web page and send it back into it. And that's the thing. I think those doing a programming session in JavaScript would be much more tangible to the people who are learning it because it's something they may have experienced in their day-to-day life. Whereas Ruby, it, you know, it's not something you come across. Yeah, I agree. And actually, that second session, I think, um, was easier for people to understand, probably because they used to interacting with web pages more than they are to writing code on a command line. Yeah. And session, also- that, that, that session was very good. I mean, I, it, it made me understand again like what, what goes behind a website in the modern world because my exposure to websites was back in you know, 1998 or something, or no, earlier than that, 1995, when I started to learn a bit of HTML and clearly things had moved on quite a lot. Then. Not very much. <laughs> Not on the NHS, at least. Yeah. You've got like what uh, in, in HTML? What have you got? HTML five. You've got some video stuff. You've got some section and article, but <laughs> not much to change. So, I mean, off the back of that, there are mutterings about doing a separate course. Um, um, perhaps looking, you know, a dedicated weekend course looking at programming and actually you know, taking a project like a, sim- a simple electronic patient health record or a prescribing platform and actually helping people, they bring along their own laptop to actually build that from scratch. Um, and that's something that's being explored at the moment. I, I think I think that might work quite well. Uh, I would come along and, and, and take part because it's something, isn't it? Having set time aside where you're just concentrating on one task with a group of people doing the same, it's like going back to school is quite... You need that to kind of push things along a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I learnt my iOS programming, iPhone programming, by going on those sorts of courses where you're literally right. with 10 other people in a, in a hotel somewhere in London in like a conference-type venue, and you're live coding, and people are coming and helping you and stuff like that. And it does work. It does work quite well. Um, you really do need those people walking around you know, solving your problems. Because when you first start programming, you know, you miss the smallest thing. You miss a, a semicolon and the whole thing breaks and you have no idea why. You know, yeah, so. if you watch the video, I miss lots of... Uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's always like no method error for this. And, you know, I mean, it's just partly because I can't spell, partly uh, partly because I'm not regular programming. You know, you know, that's a very good point that you bring up, Ed, about getting stuck. Because I, I was recently reading about any of the guys that that in Stanford that created the, the, the online um, introduction to computing science or introduction to programming and they put it online free for anyone to do oh, and they had like I, I, I'm not sure what is it exactly this is the Stanford one yeah it's on um, iTunes U yeah introduction yeah. to computer science or yeah 
And there's the good, the good iPhone one as well. I mean, uh, iOS one. And what yeah, happened? Good if you've got a PhD. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, they realized the, the the fact that you can put these courses up, but a lot of people fall off the you know, fall off the rails, if you like, um, because they they get stuck on very simple things. And I think you said one of the key things about a weekend event would be someone is there to help you through these little little things. And, yeah, to actually, you know, you'll be following along and you'll get stuck and you put your hand up and someone will come over and help you, you know, and... Um... Yeah, and I guess I envisioned our workshops um, to be something like that. Like, for example, when I did my RSS feed one, I found it really quite hard going because, you know, you got an audience like facing you, like, like lecture style. But initially what I wanted to do is everyone, you know, starting to subscribe to their feeds and when they get stuck, I come and help them. Yeah. And, and it works well. And I know there are a lot of people who are now using RSTs when they haven't done before and, and doing it better. But I think that it could have been much better if it was done in a similar way. But time is always an issue. So it was almost like a workshop talk, but delivered in a sort of, uh, a sort of lecture style, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that, that, I find it quite hard. No, but I mean, think, what I recognised on that day, and I never really knew how it went, and I kind of thought that our description on the website would have kind of distilled, you know, separated people, but what I found was that there, there were two different groups, as I've already said, people that really had intentions to go away and write some code and build, and, and they were there because they wanted to know, because they wanted to go away and learn and build their own project. And there were also people there who just wanted to know a little bit more about it because they're involved in the kind of decision making around these things or they, you know, they're just interested in technology and they just want to know. And I think that the talks um, maybe about how websites are structured and that kind of thing were maybe more relevant to a, pe- a group of people who just want to know you know, how these things are built and, and what's going on. And then also there are a group of people who really have intent and conviction to go and do something. They've got a problem they want to solve. And the kind of thing that you need to deliver to those two groups is completely different. And that we almost did on that in those sessions, we were trying to serve two communities of people that with, with one talk and it was it was quite difficult in that respect. Because you didn't know you didn't want to pitch it too low so that the people who really kind of already knew a little bit about coding get bored. But then you can really go into things too quickly and, and get, you know, people confused and, and annoyed. Yeah, I mean I think if we were to learn a lesson from that second day it would be maybe less absolute detail, but maybe, you know, talk about the HTML, the CSS, JavaScript, how, you know, the, re- the request cycle when you request something from a website, what's the difference yeah. between a web yeah. app and an actual native app? Sort of questions yeah. like that, which actually would go a long way without actually sort of teaching people about variables and methods to actually breaking down some of the barriers. Because when you did that uh, Rails generation thing and you uh, quickly spiked a, a sort of prescribing web app with Jeremy, yeah, that was a piece of sensationalism that yeah. no one really understands and it's not what you do in practice and it's completely useless to everybody but it people sat there going wow this is really great look what we can do yeah look how that, easy it is that, the interesting thing about that is that was a function of time yeah so so they saw that when jeremy and i sat there well mainly jeremy i sat there commentating on what he was doing um so you know he spiked uh, a prescribing platform in 20 minutes using ruby on rails and that completely, that time function did not mirror people's expectations of what it took to develop any software platform at, at all. And is that because they've heard of the budgets? And they've heard of the budgets, they've heard of the timescales, they've heard yeah. of the difficulties. All of these things have built up this sort of 
this cloud around anything to do with software, which makes it impenetrable, or if you like, like a really tall wall around it. Yeah. And I think that was quite powerful because it broke that down, you yeah. know, and even though what Jeremy was writing for someone who hadn't written uh, code before was quite inaccessible, he was running some, some commands sometimes that were very English readable and said mm -hmm. exactly what they did on the tin and actually resulted in a working product, you know. Yeah, and to someone sitting there who wants to know how these things are built and knows the current climate of the way things work, to see that kind of thing materialise in front of you, look at this one man sat there with a Mac, just typing a few commands into the terminal, and here we have a working application. I think that's a, a really big... Uh, you know, it's sensationalism. That's 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 yeah. exactly what it is, and and you can't help but be inspired by that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think there are people that are coming to to realize that more and more. I always remember this quote about this is uh, computer science and not rocket science. And you know, and for a lot of us, you know, we we have spent many years trying to master this thing called medicine, which we'll never probably master. But we, you know, yeah, I cool. think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's hard, but we, we all got to where we are. And, you know, it, programming and coding is another skill that we can apply ourselves to and we can get it. And, and it just shows that it doesn't have, it's not as hard as we think it, it is. To do, some, to do anything well is a lot of skill, deliberate learning, and a lot of effort. Um, but to do something maybe just good enough for something small to start with, I think it really made it clear that it's not too difficult. It's not impossible. An agile methodology. So, for those who don't know, it's something where you have a product. You know, you know, you don't worry about getting. I guess the platform's different. So, like, if you were building a piece of software that was going to be loaded once on a device, like, uh, like maybe five years ago, and you were making a system, a software system that was going to go in a car, you can't update that ever. Or you're making a software system that goes in a very smart watch. There's no way that you can update the software on that watch, so you better be sure that it's bug-free before you load it. Um, whereas things are different in the web world. Things can be updated in a matter of seconds. If you make a mistake and you push something and it's wrong, I mean, the App Store, for example, there's always up, you know, updates, and that's a pain in the butt. Like It really is to, to issue another update for an app and then have Apple try and review it. If there's a mistake in your code... It's really annoying. It takes yeah, several days. Yeah, and you can... <laughs> but on, in the web world, you can issue a patch or a correction it, it very, very quickly, like almost in seconds. And it's live everywhere. So this agile methodology has sprung out of the fact that you can just iterate on things. So if something doesn't work, well, you know, at least you've got something. Build it. Don't worry about making big, uh, you know, high-strung decisions. Just go and build it. See what happens. And things evolve. Solve, things are yeah. Solve the yeah. minimum problem that exists to create your solution. That's it. And deliver it now. Yeah. And then worry about it later. Um, so don't worry about how it looks. Yeah. Just yeah. just get it out there. Um, and actually, if you're interested, I recorded a screencast today of myself doing just that. Yay, plug. So, <laughs> 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 no, were there any any topics that you think we should have covered that we that we didn't? No, I think we did too much. There you go. Um, I was reflecting on this a little bit, and I was just wondering that uh, 
like for, let's say let's talk about like email inbox zero and things one thing i find is that I, I can run inbox zero quite well on my gmail and on my mail clients but then when i have to do nhs mail it just seems so much harder to do anything I like, mean, there's, there's always digitoc 13 and 14 and 15 and 13.5 yeah oh, okay we haven't spoken about that <laughs> And Digidoc 13 Wales and Digidoc 13 Scotland. Yeah. Who's going to pay us to go to us? No, we don't get paid. So, <laughs> what I thought I would, what I thought the Saturday was all about was because when I when I first started learning programming, I came across all of these ways of practicing that, that I wasn't aware of before because I worked in a hospital and I mm. what I needed was on my ward pretty much or in the X-ray department. It was all in the same building. And there was the GP, this mysterious figure that I'd send letters to every now and again. Um, but when you start programming, you have to work in different ways. And you see lots of ways and standardized ways of practicing that's extremely, extremely applicable to your everyday life. Um, and I wanted to bring some of that to the Saturday in Digidoc. And I don't think I had enough time. And I think I tried to do too much. Um, my software for research talk went down really, really well. Um, but there was... It was a bit of a challenge because not everyone uses the same operating systems or pieces of software. So I really had to showcase workflows. And some of the things that I've learned from programming, like um, source control. So at the moment, when you're writing a paper, no one puts anything under source control. And actually, the, the benefits of source control, if you know about it, if you've been programming, are, are numerous. Making branches and putting things up to, you know, making sure that they're stored. I mean, only today... A guy in my lab has said, I need access to a clean room. And a clean room is something where, you know, you build like carbon nanotubes or something and you have to pay £100,000 per year just to be able to have access to the clean room. So he needs to find someone within the university who has a clean room and who can get data off his hard drive that's crashed. Well, if he had source control, maybe it wouldn't be such a critical issue for him. And, um, and, and Rails, for example. So Rails and all of these frameworks for building uh, web applications have certain... The reason for their creation is that they have uh, certain folders where things go, certain places where you put your code, otherwise it's one big jumbled mess. And there are so many ways of doing things that if two people work a solution to the same problem, they might come up with completely different code. And that's very hard when you're a developer or when you're even a client asking people to come and sort your problem out because mm. you didn't build it so you don't know where everything goes where if it's a Rails app and everything's standardised and there's a convention for things you know where to look and that kind of thing um, having that folder structure having that convention um, I have applied in writing my academic papers um, which I think has been incredibly helpful to me because if I submit something to a journal and it takes them six weeks to get back to me and I've been doing two other projects since then and then I've suddenly got to go back to this project and, and sort certain things out, then I know where to look for my files and I know how to bring in all of my edits from my collaborators and sort them all out. And I think that kind of way of working is is only really come from me learning how to program and working remotely from other people with code. That's all. Uh, <laughs> That's all he's got. That's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think that's right, and I think that I took that from when you were talking about that in the software for research as well. Did you and, 
Yeah, I was there. Yes, I was there. I was in the back heckling. Um, and then the um, and then similarly, you know, when you talked about the inbox zero and how you have different folders, like an action folder or a or a waiting for folder or your what you call your tickler folder. Oh, I do love them. the tickler folder. Yeah. I. No, the thing about Gmail is they 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 put all your folders in alphabetical order. So I had to rename Tickler because it was too far down. So I decided to call it um, RAM for like random access memory. Uh, yeah. So that uh, I put things there where I need to get to quickly. So uh, I've named it to that. But well, that's another... Waycong, you're a master of computer science. <laughs> Already. You've, ta- you've abstracted out the concept of RAM and applied it to a novel situation. So yeah. sort of... I was particularly proud of that, actually. I thought I needed to tell you guys. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very proud of you. Well, you can just do exclamation mark tickler and it will appear like, you know, first book, like in alphabetical for the ones that have exclamation marks. Well, you That's can what... put a tickler. A tickler. A tickle. I, I didn't use exclamation mark. I used that thing that looked like a bit like an underlying thing for all my top folders. Underscore. Underscore. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. That's actually probably the most conventional thing to use. Anyway, if you do want to watch Stephen's Inbox Zero talk, which I highly recommend, it is available um, on YouTube. Yeah, it is on YouTube, yeah. And the website is on the website? No, did you put it on the website? I don't think I've created a page yet for it. Um, It's not on the website yet. Ed's got a new keyboard, the DAS keyboard. Uh, It's a very uh, fashionable keyboard right now. It's very loud. You can hear uh, it. No, so, so I, I removed all the booking stuff, but I'm going to post the lectures. So what are we going to do? I mean, future topics, you know, for, for future conferences. The kind of stuff that I was thinking about, uh, I thought we there needs to be something about, as boring as it sounds, about security information governance, uh, but delivered in a stimulating way, perhaps. Um, because there's always something that people tell us that, well, you can't do that because of that. Uh, uh, because of privacy, because of confidentiality. But I think a lot of it is just an excuse so that they can say no to everything. Exactly, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, if we are armed with a bit more knowledge and a bit more concepts, we can perhaps see through what is, uh, what is real and what is just excuses. Yeah, I'd like to see a very brave person, a very knowledgeable person, take on the 45-minute challenge of demystifying information governance for people. Oh, I've got a book on it. But Can you read 45 minutes? No, it took me about three months to read. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that would be a massive addition. I think we could probably... Um, I think we could do a session on online collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, think- I kind of missed that, actually. That was supposed yeah. to be the end of our software for research talk, but we spent so long talking about, you know, the way we plan and write things. Um, we took this kind of view from a sort of if you're writing a paper, how would you, you know, what tools would you use? And at the end, we were going to do about how do you collaborate with people. Um, and I wanted to apply all the stuff I learned from QB's programming into that talk, but we ran out of time. Um, it's almost needed to be a separate talk, so I'd love to do that. No, online collaboration, I mean, it's worth pointing out to everyone out there that and say that we, I mean, for me anyway, I didn't have anyone's phone numbers. In fact, I didn't have most of the email addresses um, for when we organize this conference together. It was done very much through online collaboration tools and it just shows that things can work and I want to I really want to learn much more about it because 
you know, even within an organization, like, you know, that you work, in the NHS anyway, we still do things through nothing but email, if you're lucky. I mean, there are still doctors in hospitals that do not check their work email. I mean, I think it's almost criminal that you don't do that. Anyway, that's a, a different topic. But we do everything still through meetings, but nothing gets done until the next meeting. It's yeah, really paper. Cool. Yeah, paper, meetings, and emails, and, all people, and phone calls. I mean... Hang on, let's not wind up this talk. Let's not wind up this talk because this is a separate podcast. Yeah, okay. talking about meetings cultures is a massive issue. If you want to find out more about that, I recommend there's a there's a great ebook by a company called Thirty Seven Signals called Getting Real, um, where they talk about talk a lot about agile methodology, but they also talk a lot about meetings and the the, the disease that is meetings in any organisation. And they've got another another book called Rework, which is like full of pithy statements about how you should organise your day and work with people. Yeah. Um, and like half of it you have to take with a pinch of salt, but um, most of it's pretty funny. Rework um, is, is good. Yeah, Rework is good if you haven't read it, but it's pretty good. Great. What else are we going to talk about? Um, well, I think we've been going on quite long enough. If, if people are still listening, then they should be commended. <laughs> The other thing I think we should have done is that um, recently I read something about screencasting, and screencasting is really, uh, I think, Stephen, you did screencasting during your software for research talk, and I think that is a, a much lower risk and more efficient thing rather than trying to do uh, live uh, typing. And yeah, then, no, it wasn't me, actually. So this was part of the whole online collaboration thing. That talk was, the end part of that talk was so meta because I worked with two friends, Nishant Bedi and Santino Capocci, Nishantino for short, um, and <laughs> we all did that, that collaboration together, and um, we used so many different methods to actually prepare the talk. Most of it was written what, uh, like out on the day in front of uh, some of the delegates who were in but that was the first time we'd actually met to bring it all together, so Tino took the, you know, absolute genius, like screencasted exactly what he wanted to show, and then spoke over it. So it was already pre-edited, and he was a very safe man to bring along, because I knew he already had his content. Um, me, I was less worried about myself, because I knew I'd either make a fool of myself, and I'd be able to deal with it, or I wouldn't, and it would be fine. Um, but the unknown was Nish, and Nish actually did extremely well, but, but like maybe half an hour before, I said, oh, um, EndNote's broken. I can't do what I wanted to do. It's just broken. And the typical EndNote and Microsoft Word, right? They wouldn't work together. So, um, but he managed to fix it. Uh, I don't know what he did to it, but he did some trickery. And it, it, it all worked and it went off really well. But the night before, we were screencasting together how to use Google Docs and how to use Dropbox. We were using sort of all these different cl- online collaboration tools and Basecamp we were using as well to try and make the talk. So it was very sort of metaphorical about how, how you know, um, how, how we actually did the talk. And we were going to, we did lots of collaboration in getting the collaboration part of the talk together. So I really want to show that. By the way, if I haven't already mentioned, I've called dibs on that bit. For what the bit? next dibs, for the collaboration talk. Oh, okay. That's yeah, fine. Okay. I, I, I hate collaborating with other people. I like working by myself. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's more about personality. And that's, that's more about, about my neurosis than it is about anything else. Right. Is that, um, I think we should probably draw this close quite soon, but I was just wondering, maybe we can uh, talk about, were there any interesting tips or tricks that you learned from the audience on that particular day that made you change the way 
You've been doing stuff. Yeah, well, Wei Kong told me that I move too much while I speak. Um, so I've actually, I've actually now bought a straight jacket for the times when I do public <laughs> speaking. And I'm restraining myself. Um. <laughs> what about you, Wei Kong? <laughs> um... Well, I mentioned earlier on already about about after listening to the Inbox Zero um, thing on YouTube on how I have actually reorganized um, my folders um, in in Google Mail, and um, so I have learned that I, I like the idea of the tickler folder, uh, which I called it RAM, and um, and I'm using it now, and and it seems to work really well, and I'm processing my emails a lot faster. Um, so I think of all the things that have really changed what I've done. That 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 is one thing, um, but I was just wondering from the other audience members, have, you know, because during your your YouTube talk, there, there was a lot of interaction uh, with the audience, but you can't quite pick it up on YouTube. So I was quite interested in this. was there anything that people said that surprised you? I thought something about having my secretary do my email was quite funny, but that's oh, not oh yeah yeah that was the one guy said so during the email talk, and I wish we could have captured that, but I was using a sort of lapel mic, um, and, and in future I think we need to do more in figuring out how we're going to make these workshops more accessible to people here on the web. Um, but there were some fantastic comments that came out and, um, and different problems that I hadn't really thought about. Like conceptually, people were talking about how they deal with... Um, like Bernard Ho, um, as you'll know, Ed, he collaborated us on the, with the, the PodMedics uh, surgery book. Yeah. He was talking about um, a kind of culture around his email at university. and He's from St. George's. And if you didn't, you know, that, that maybe email everyone saying that there was uh, an opportunity that you need to take hold of, like free pizza or somewhere. And if you, you know, if you snooze, you lose. And um, that doesn't really fit well with the kind of check your email twice a day culture and don't worry about it. So there were all sorts of problems that came out that, that I found quite challenging to try and give an answer to. Um, but I guess, I guess your system needs to reflect your working style and culture has so much I mean I spoke about five sentences and um, and if you haven't seen the talk then, then maybe you have to look at it or google it or something but there are all these things that you can do to try and change the culture around the email and the way you work to try and help those things but he found a lot of pressure from outside so I found that quite interesting it's been it's given me food for thought over the last few weeks but some some people as well were saying that the way they do things particularly in this software for research talk because actually I wanted to make that more interactive because I could only present what I did, and that's why I asked Nish and Tino to come along to present what they did, because they both did very different things. Tino is very Mac-centric with Senti and pages, um, and, and uh, sorry, not pages, with uh, Scrivener, whereas uh, Nish uses Microsoft Word and EndNote. And I wanted those guys to come in and show what they do, because I have no experience of it. But during the same talk, I, the audience gave loads of information about what they were doing, and it was all different and new to me and I found it all really interesting so I, I really enjoyed that talk probably more than the people that were listening to me I, I enjoyed what they were telling me right is everyone everyone happy uh -huh. I'm very happy very happy so um, what's the next what's the next podcast going to be so something that came up 
during the conference was about doctors learning to code and I think there are a few people who are interested in talking on the podcast and I hope they will come because I think they'll be very valuable. If we can set that up, I'd like that to be a podcast sometime. Maybe it won't be the next one, but that would be great. And even if the people that were interested end up not doing it, I think we should discuss it. Um, So that's in the pipeline. But there's lots of other talks we could do and so much about the conference that I wanted to talk about. We, we should definitely do something about um, education or an uh, education and uh, health education in IT. Uh, we should definitely have something about the e-portfolio as well because I think that struck a chord with a lot of people on how to record our um, clinical learning in a way in which we can use the proof that we are actually keeping up to date with. Uh, yeah, that, that was taking, because I mean, that was a strong theme during the conference. Like it, there was a monopoly that developed over the NHS e-portfolio that just kind of needs to be disrupted. Yeah. And I'd like to see, I'd like to see someone else on our next podcast. Um, you know, I love you two a lot, but I, I like some fresh blood. Yeah. I'm oh no, I mean, I mean that in these situations, we invite people who, think and live this all the time so that they can come and I can can think of plenty of people on the e-portfolio side educational side and you know I know Stephen you've got lined up some um, um, some opinions on the um, coding side yep we should we should definitely um, get someone to talk about free Wi-Fi yeah I think Martin Murphy should come and and speak about free Wi-Fi I'd love to get uh, Rob Dyke um, talking about how we carry on the momentum. I'd love to get Kyle in, uh, if you can convince him, Wei Kyung, talking about um, what he's doing with the Hack Day stuff and why he started it, what his motivations. I think that would be very good. Uh, it's, it's endless. Excellent. I think we've got plenty to work on. We're done. So, fantastic. Thank you so much um, to my co hosts, Stephen and Wei Kyung. Um, well done. And. <laughs> And right. we'll we'll see you soon. I think you know with Chris, we should manage it within the next, you know, the next fortnight. I think we'll be out with another podcast. If you have any comments, as usual, please post them on the podcast page, which is the www.thedigitaldoc.co.uk. I promise I'm going to make more of an effort um, in the new year. One of my New Year's resolutions is to persuade my Apple contacts to put the Digital Doctor podcast on iTunes podcast pages. Um, so hopefully we'll reach a large audience um, there. But if you do see us there, please give us some stars, say nice things, and we'll keep <laughs> going forever. And if you have any thoughts about what, you, what you'd like to hear, let us know. So until next time, it's bye-bye from me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Check for pulse.